Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Elizabeth Poucher. Elizabeth is the founder and executive director of For All Animals, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the lives of animals through legislative initiatives, grassroots activism, and multimedia campaigns. For All Animals is made up of veteran career animal advocates who have worked for all the major national nonprofit organizations, including PETA, HSUS, the ASPCA, Best Friends Animals Society, and others. The organization identifies and fills voids in the animal protection field and raises awareness for all orders of animals that would otherwise be overlooked and marginalized. Elizabeth is also an independent strategy consultant who specializes in integrated campaign planning and execution for national animal protection nonprofit organizations. Her clients include the Animal Legal Defense Fund and the Jackson Galaxy Foundation. Elizabeth, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Stacey. So as I was saying in the pre-show interview, I just love your website. We normally save this exciting phrase for the end, but I just think your website is just awesome. I think your logo is incredible. I I just think it looks great. So could you share with us what the uh, website is? It's forallanimals.org, and that's F-O-R, for. Um, and it's, it, there's a ton of resources on the webpage. Um, there's a lot of different resources specifically for shelters. There's also some resources for people who are trying to pass trap neuter return ordinances in their local jurisdictions and just a bunch of other stuff to, to check out. Well, thank you for doing that. I know I'm, I'm skipping. I'm out of order today. I don't, I don't know <laughs> what has come over me, but I just wanted to get that out. I just I keep getting distracted instead of looking at my notes. I'm looking at your website and I get all excited. So anyway, so that's all a good sign. So Elizabeth, I was just wondering if you could uh, share with us how you got started in animal welfare and with a focus on community cats. I actually am a career animal advocate. I started right out of college doing um, animal advocacy. I started in, I actually started, I became a vegetarian in high school when I was 16 and it just kind of progressed from there. And I was very active in college. And then when college was over, it was like, well, this is really what I care about. So this is what I'm going to pursue. So I worked for a couple of different national nonprofit organizations and one of them was Alley Cat Allies. So I got very familiar with the issue, with the community cats issue. I care about a lot of different animal issues. Community cats is obviously very, very close to my heart. It's very important. But there are so many animals that need um, assistance that I ended up going out on my on my own originally and starting for all animals. And, and I brought on a bunch of people onto our team that have specialties in different areas, one of which is um, Elizabeth Holtz, who is our director of legislative affairs. And she helps a lot of, like I said before, local advocates Institute trap neuter return ordinances, community cat ordinances, or she also helps take down or strike down ordinances that kind of stand in the way of trap neuter return. So I've done a lot of trapping myself as well uh, through, through the years. I think we've probably had uh, 
30, 40 cats come through our basement. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, we're very, we're really hands-on. My husband and I also do a lot of photography of community cats. We're very involved. We're very um, connected with our community in Baltimore and a lot of different caregivers and stuff reach out to us for help. Uh, we're kind of experts in our area. So what is life like for a community cat in Baltimore? Well, Baltimore is actually a pretty good place for a community cat to live. Um, Baltimore was one of the first um, major cities, if not the first, to institute trap neuter return as their official policy. Um, they actually adapt, adopted a TNR ordinance in 2007, which was very, it was very controversial at that time, whereas TNR is kind of more of a mainstream thing now. At that time, right before then, when you would call animal control, you would, um, you know, they'd send somebody out to come and trap the cat and, and kill the cat. And now they basically, they either, re they refer you to a trap neuter return group, or they actually have full-time staff now who will come and trap cats for you, have them spayed and neutered and then bring them back. So uh, there is no option to have a cat, a, a neighborhood cat killed at this point in Baltimore. So it's a good time to be in Baltimore for cats. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And then you are working on a documentary project. So my husband and I started a documentary about two years ago about Baltimore's program uh, because it was kind of, you know, a revolutionary program when it started. And now we're almost on the 10 year anniversary. One of the reasons that we really wanted to do this documentary was from all my years of advocacy working on behalf of community cats. Um, I always found that government officials really wanted to hear from other government officials. And it was always the health department that had concerns. And the health department was actually the one, the department that helped push trap to return through in Baltimore City. Mm -hmm. They were presented with, you know, really good data and really good research from the organizations that were that were holding clinics in the area. And they were really able to prove the success through numbers. And they really won over the, the health department and the director specifically. And that's really how this came about. You know, it's, it's all about, it's all about data supporting information because that's what really speaks to government officials and the government in general. Right. I actually, in the communities that I've approached with regards to TNR projects, in many cases, I'm usually my first approach is to the board of health just to begin developing a relationship, finding out where they sit on the issue, if there's any strong leanings one way or the other, or if they just need some educating, just a, you know, an understanding, you know, knowledge is empowerment. So the more that you can help inform your board of health before you're involved in some sort of a contentious situation, it's great because you'll have developed a relationship with them. And so you'll be able to say, hey, Joe or Mary, let's just sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about this situation because you've already created that type of connection. Yes. And I've also found that it is usually trap new return ordinances and like kind of new policies are usually derived from one squeaky wheel or from like one very isolated incident that could have really just been handled better. I mean, it, in particular, Baltimore started because there was a woman feeding cats and she was getting cited for feeding the cats in her neighborhood. And they, I mean, that's how you turn like a bad situation into a positive situation. You know, you take those opportunities that are really small things, frame it as like this grandmother's getting fined for feeding cats, right. you know, and, and kind of turn that, turn that and escalate it into, you know, community support for finding a solution. Looking for a great tool to help educate your neighbors about community cats? 
Check out this sign available from the folks at Lumen LS, a life-saving organization from Broward County, Florida, that believes no cat should be left behind. This sturdy, bright orange sign featuring an ear-tipped cat would be great for cat colony caretakers, shelters and rescues, spay-neuter clinics, or municipalities and animal control organizations. Education about the correct ways to manage community cats is exploding in the U.S., especially in the last five years. This sign will help you let your community know that ear-tipped cats have been fixed and vaccinated and pose no threat to them. The community cat sign comes complete with all of the hardware you need to post it, Buying and posting the sign will help move animal welfare forward and improve outcomes for cats in your area. You can view and purchase the signs directly from our Facebook page at Lumen LS. They also have a colorful informational brochure about community cats plus lots of other resources. Support the Community Cats Podcast and LumenLS.org by going to Lumen LS on Facebook today. When you think about an audience for this documentary, who will want to see it? Well, I really want uh, this to be accessible to advocates who are across the country to be able to show it to people who they're trying to convince it's a good idea, their government officials, or even just people who aren't necessarily convinced trap neuter return is the way to go. And also just people who know that there are cats outdoors, but don't know that there's a program. Um, I think that, you know, documentaries are really hot right now and it's like a really interesting way to kind of get a deep dive into more information about an issue that you don't necessarily understand. And as much as I don't think community cats is a super complicated issue, that may just be because I've been working on it for Mm -hmm. 10 years. It's a concise way to get uh, a lot of information across in like 90 minutes. And focusing on Baltimore and and the success of the program, um, I think kind of shows a model for how the program can kind of start fledgling and, and end up a robust program that has the support of, you know, Best Friends Animal Society actually chose Baltimore as one of its concentrated cities um, and, and put a lot of money into helping with the spay and neuter of our cats because we were such a progressive city. So I'm assuming that the shelters in Baltimore all have pretty live release rates. They do. They have, in, they have improved drastically since, since Trap Neuter Turn was adopted. We're actually still waiting on a report from the city shelter, which is Barks, to see exactly, you know, how many how many lives have been saved. But I can guarantee that they're definitely seeing less cats come in and a lot of less kittens, which a lot of people don't understand that a lot of the neonatal kittens coming into shelters are the product of of community cats. So less kittens coming in means more cats uh, lives are being saved and being adopted out. So, you know, it's I. I always try to um, stress the importance of community cat programs helping to reduce shelter killing and helping to reduce shelter intake because not everybody sees those connections. I termed a thought of uh, the kitten-free zone. I had a funder look at me like I had 10 heads when I said back in the late 90s in the area that we were working in that we're operating in a kitten-free zone. And he was like, what is a kitten-free zone? He was from Boston, and I was up on the North Shore of Massachusetts. And I said, "It's it, what it means is we cannot provide enough kittens for the people who come in here wanting to adopt kittens. So right. yes, our community does produce some kittens. We do get some feral kittens. But it was 30 to 50 kittens a year which our community could absorb 300 to 400 to 500 kittens a year. So at that point in time, we were going to other parts of the state to try and find kittens to bring them in. So that was at that point in time, there were 
plenty of kittens across Massachusetts to kind of fill us up. But now that's not the case. And so, you know, now we're at a, at a different point with regards to kittens in the Northeast. You know your program is working when you see a substantial drop in intakes with regards to kittens. Then the next wave is the adult cats. And I know that was always a question of us in the Northeast was like, okay, we can see how we can fix sort of the kitten issue, but now what about the adult cat issue? Let's, how do we reduce that? And that is, you know, really getting, just getting out there and really getting as many cats as you can into low cost, high volume spay neuter. So I'm sure your, your statistics will, will come out. You have a great position um, in your organization, and it's called the Attorney at Paws. Um, I know you mentioned her earlier, I believe. Could you yes. just expand a little bit more about what Elizabeth does? Attorney at Paws, one of our programs at For All Animals, and it is our Director of Legislative Affairs, Elizabeth Holtz. She offers one-on-one assistance to advocates who are looking to improve or remove um, ordinances in their local community. Uh, the truth is that the majority of ordinance or the majority of laws that affect companion animals happen on a local level. There aren't a lot of state uh, and no federal really, besides anti-cruelty laws, that really address the way that we care for our animals, um, like cats and dogs. So what she does is she is has a lot of experience working with uh, government officials on a local level. She will hand, she offers one-on-one support to advocates. She works with groups. She gives presentations. She'll come to your town. She'll give a presentation to your government officials. She'll provide them with model ordinances. We have a a load of fact sheets and um, resources for people to share with their legislators or to just have for themselves. A lot of FAQs about why legislation is good or bad and help take some of the mystery away from some of the ordinances that that small towns and and large towns try to pass. Yeah, sometimes I look at some of the, hear about different ordinances around, and I just feel like there needs to be a good house cleaning done. There's some weird laws on the books in some towns, that's for sure. But putting stuff on the books that, that really helps community cats, especially, I mean, we always love when we can get something passed that includes funding for spay neuter. Uh, that's always a great day. Um, so those kinds of we're always proactively trying to improve local level issues because that that's really how community cats are managed at this time. So, you know, we're really trying to give advocates who are who are already doing the hands on work, who are already, you know, out in the field. We're just trying to give them extra help to get not legitimized, but but have laws that kind of protect what they're doing to make sure that that they don't get hassled and can kind of focus on trapping and neutering cats as opposed to, you know, dealing with government officials and stuff. I noticed you also have another program, Photographers for Animals. What's that? Photographers for Animals is we have a huge list of pro bono photographers and videographers who have donated, who have offered to donate their time to animal protection groups. So basically we have a list where you can contact or nonprofits can contact uh, photographers in their area. And these photographers have already said that they're willing to take any kind of photos. So that could be adoption photos. That can be photos of an event that you're holding. That can be photos um, that you need as part of an investigation. If you're doing like an anti-cruelty case or something like that. Uh, These are just people who who just really want to help. These are photographers, you know, who have a certain skill set who really want to help animals in their community. One of the things we're doing as part of that program, Christy Ruggiero is actually our program manager for the Photographers for Animals program. And she's working 
very hard to pair photographers with shelters who are taking proactive steps towards adoptions. And, and other life-saving programs such as Trap Neuter Turn, it's actually a requirement that the shelters who we partner with have a community cats program. But she's working to pair photographers with shelters so that we can start collecting data to show how much faster animals get adopted when they have, you know, professional photos taken of them. I think we all kind of anecdotally know that it that it helps animals get adopted, but we actually want to put some numbers behind it so that we can increase the chances of organizations being able to get grant funding to kind of pay for this kind of stuff or to get grant funding for better equipment so that they're more equipped and training for their volunteers so that animals have the best chance of getting adopted and they spend the least amount of time in the shelter. That's great. That's an excellent idea. I'm always short for pictures, you know, and <laughs> with the world being so visual now, I started 22 years ago and back then we would go to CVS and get our stack of pictures to tape <laughs> right. on our donation cans or whatever. And, you know, we'd have the pictures taped up on the wall. But now everything, you know, with, with five different platforms for social media and then, you know, your pet finder page and your own adoption page and all that stuff, there's a lot of time needed that has to go behind visual, not only from, you know, the sort of the static, the, the photos, but you're talking video too. And then we're talking like Facebook Live and things like that also. Yeah, the times are changing as far as the resources available to help shelters. Specifically with those kind of things, we have, an, we have another program called Picture Me at Home that actually helps shelters do that kind of marketing that provides different materials like share graphics and stuff that are already laid out that they can use and, and different adoption programs or fundraising programs that they can use that are kind of turnkey marketing out of the box. Uh, because a lot of shelters don't have time for that kind of stuff. And that, and that's why we're kind of trying to reinforce the importance of photography through this program and the data that we're collecting. But also just the way that shelters are marketing themselves and the way that they're perceived by the community can make a huge difference with the amount of adoptions that they that they get. And I think a lot of shelters are making really progressive moves. I just don't think that the general public is necessarily as perceptive to the changes especially if the shelter is not proactive in getting that message out. So as much as they could be really changing their programs internally and really doing everything they can to save lives, if the, if the surrounding community doesn't know that they've changed in that way, you know, they may not be coming to the shelter right. to adopt an animal. Right. So just kind of raising the status of shelters is one of uh, the Picture Me at Home's program's main goals. Changing preconceived opinions of shelters is a battle that is fought continually. Something that a shelter did 15 years ago, it, it carries through to today in many people's minds. They will never forget what happened then. And if it happened 15 years ago, it's going to happen today. Changing that mind shift is really, I think, one of our most challenging questions that we have facing us today. I agree. Yeah. And that, I mean, and that's really one of the reasons, I mean, For All Animals partnered with Pause PR, which is a New York-based marketing firm, to kind of put these programs together, these uh, marketing programs. So there's real PR power behind these to help shelters, because I 100% agree that it a lot of the perceptions are really 
you know, hangovers. A lot of people still think of animal shelters as like city pounds and like dog catcher type people. And, and the, you know, the, dem- the demographic of the, the people working in shelters has changed tremendously. You know, kind of that old school thinking is kind of on its way out from what I can see. And new younger people who really want to save animals lives are coming in and they're and they're ready to put um, different programs in place and, and aren't you know, tied to the same old, same old, we've been doing this forever. So that's how we're going to do it. Yeah. Kind of policies. Oh yeah. And I think, I think that's great. I, I think that there's lots of changes happening in the sheltering world. I just think that the general public may not know how that shelter is operationally different now than it was when they adopted their first cat 15 years ago. So I want to go back to the documentary uh, a little bit. If there are people, I know you've been fundraising for it. If folks are interested in helping to continue your efforts with that fundraising, is there a way for them to donate to help that project? There is. Um, On our website, under documentaries, we actually have two documentaries in in process. Uh, One of them is the Community Cat one. Uh, You can click on that and actually make a a donation that goes directly to that project. And all donations are tax deductible because we're a 501c3. But yeah, I mean, we would just really appreciate any support that we can get from the community. Um, I really do think that the that the documentary will be a good resource. I think that, you know, it'll be really helpful in, in persuading people that Trap Neuter Return it not only is a mainstream program, but it really is the only program that we should be doing for community cats. Now, if people have any questions or follow up for you, how would they find you? They can email us through forallanimals.org. There's a contact form, or they can reach us at info at forallanimals.org. Elizabeth, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Uh, I'd just really like to thank them for everything that they're doing for community cats. Obviously, people who do trap neuter return, trappers, people who do the spay neuter are all very passionate and such like wonderful, thoughtful people to put cats' lives, uh, you know, so high to, to dedicate as much time as we all end up doing in pursuit of saving cats' lives. I think that it's so commendable. And, you know, a lot of times it can get really discouraging and, you know, it can be a lot and can get bogged down. But, you know, I just want to thank them for everything that they're doing, for trapping, recovering cats in your basement or in your bathroom. You know, <laughs> all, all of it makes such a huge difference, not only for the specific cats, but for the movement across the country. Elizabeth, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I hope we'll have you on the future, maybe hopefully when the documentary is close to being finished or we can get an update on that. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 